All right. Good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Good. Well, happy last normal uh, salt company of the semester. Time flies, huh? Yeah, next week, as you heard, we will have a little uh, night of worship as our custom to finish off each semester. Super fun time to come here. Same time, same place. I heard our friends from Dubuque are coming back uh, because they love a good worship party. So you will not want to miss next Thursday. Bring everybody you know. Um, At the risk of kind of starting a little bit morbidly, um, let me ask you this. Um, If you could only write one thing on your tombstone, what would it be? You know, not trying to get too gloomy or morbid, I guess, but uh, what, what would that one thing be? You know, there's like some pretty common ones. If you just Google like most common things written on a, like a gravestone, you got like uh, beloved husband, beloved wife, beloved by all, good stuff like that. Um, but when people look back on your life, when you're dead and gone, what are they going to remember you for? If you could kind of sum that up in a couple words or a statement, Another way to ask that is like, what do you think when your life is over, what do you think your legacy is going to be? Like, what is the memory or the things that you're going to be leaving behind? If you could be remembered for anything, I just kind of want you to get you thinking like, what would that one thing be? Some of you guys are like, man, that is morbid. But some of you guys, you've thought about this before, right? Like you have a game plan for life. You've thought about what you want your life to count for. You, uh, you got high dreams, right? You want to be a great doctor, You want to be a great lawyer. You want to help other people, heal people, you know? You want to bring people to justice. You want to leave the world a better place and make a big difference. I know a lot of you don't want any recognition at all. You want to kind of stay behind the scenes. You just want people to remember how you made them feel, right? Like when they think of you, they're like, that person was so kind. My heart felt warm when I talked to them. Maybe you want a happy and healthy family, That's a lofty goal in and of itself, isn't it? That's a great goal to have in your life. Um, It'd be great to have cured cancer on your tombstone, Um, loving wife, loving husband, whatever. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you if you'd be okay with this, if this was written on your tombstone, okay? You're dead, okay? And this is it. It's just two words. Faithful servant. Got some mmms on that one. That's it. That's it. it. How does that make you feel? If that's, if that's the two words that summarize your entire life, do you feel like you kind of got to cheat it out of something? Faithful servant. That's it. Not remember for being great in the world's eyes or doing something wildly impressive, just faithful servant. Is that a life worth living to you? And th- this is why I'm asking. This is, where I'm, this is where I'm going with that a little bit. Um, guys, I'm telling you, you can live the most impressive life that your wildest dreams can conjure up. Like you can be more impressive than anybody in here. You can do things that no human has accomplished before in the history of the world. But I'm telling you guys, if your aim, if your aim is ultimately to be remembered by people, then I am afraid that I have to tell you that your aim might be too low. Like if your aim in your life is to be great enough so people will remember you, and these people are actually just going to be occupying the next grave plot next to yours, then you're not just in danger, I think, of being forgotten, but you might be in danger of wasting your life. Friends, let me tell you this. You will be forgotten, okay? 
And that's not all bad, okay? I know it's starting a little gloomy tonight, but I'm telling you that's not all bad. I'm telling you, you will be forgotten by people. That sister, you don't know your great great grandpa's name, do you? Maybe like five of you do if you like study your family tree. I don't know. I don't know mine. And, you know, Lord willing, if you have a great 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 grandkid, they're not going to remember a thing about you either. But it's not all bad. Um, God doesn't forget. God sees you, God knows you. And even though people will forget, I'm here to tell you tonight that there's a life that you can live a legacy that you can leave that God sees. One that God doesn't just not forget, but one that he plans to bless for eternity. Tonight I want to tell you how you can build a legacy or receive rather a legacy even that will outlive you or anything that you see. One that will matter not just for a hundred years, but millions and millions and millions of years. One that has nothing to do with you at all, but one that brings tons of glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, you can bring other people into that glory with you. Um, A life that won't be great or impressive in the world's eyes, but one where in that billions of years from now, you will look at the people around you, you will look at Jesus you will look back on your life and you will say worth it without a shadow of a doubt. So tonight, I really just want us to be challenged by the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. We've come a long way. It's been like, what, eight or nine weeks in Colossians. It's been a lot of fun. We're coming to an end, a close tonight. Um, I want us to be challenged to live the life of a faithful servant. Live lives that are radically faithful to Jesus Christ. And that's just it. I just want to leave you this semester with a challenge to live a life that is radically faithful to Jesus Christ. So if you guys want to start turning to Colossians, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And tonight is Paul's big sign-off, right? His big mic drop moment. Um, It's probably something that if you read, you would just skim right over in your quiet time and move on to something else. Just a bunch of names maybe that you don't care about, they don't mean anything to you. But... These are friends, ministry partners that Paul absolutely adores. They mean a lot to him. These are people that he calls faithful servants, and we're going to see why with some of them tonight. So I'm going to read for us tonight. If you'll follow along, the verses will be on the screen starting in verse 7. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Remember, Paul's writing from prison. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice, different Jesus, that's why they gave him a little nickname there, Jesus Justice, These alone of the circumcised, the Jews, these alone are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas, they send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. 
and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, a lot of names that might mean nothing as you skim across the surface, but as we just go even an inch deeper like we plan to do tonight, we're gonna see Paul drawing our attention to some pretty challenging buddies of his. What I mean by challenging is they're going to challenge us. They are faithful servants, and I think they're going to be, or they at least should be, super instructive for us even tonight. Sadly, we obviously won't have enough time to unpack every single one of these names and what they mean to Paul, but I just want to zoom in on a few. And the first one we see, Tychicus, right? That's the first name you see. This guy is like the greatest mailman in history. Anybody work for the Postal Service or parents in the Postal Service? Heroes, right? This guy is the best mailman ever. This guy, a friend of Paul's, who has been with him around every, all these imprisonments, all that, he is taking these letters to the Colossian church, to Philemon and one other, and he is tasked with braving this journey to keep this world-changing literature alive. But it's not actually him I kind of want to zoom in on. Um, it's the guy they say is with him, Onesimus. You see that O-name, cool O-name, Onesimus? That's who I want to zoom in on first. Who is he? Well, from verse 9, you can see that he's a faithful and dearly loved brother, and he's one of you. So he's from Colossae, right? Like these people would know him. Why would they know his story? Or why would they know his name? Well, probably because he has a pretty well-known story in this church. Okay, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, if you read Paul's letter to Philemon, just kind of turn a few pages over in your New Testament, um, you will find out that Onesimus was a slave. Okay, and we know slavery was a lot different back then. Go back and listen a couple weeks ago and kind of get the lowdown on that. But he was a slave, and he lived in the house of this guy in their church named Philemon. Um, and something happened. Uh, probably Onesimus robbed the master of the house, Philemon, um, or he did something else illegal, and he decides to bolt. And he takes off for Rome, right? Uh, a lot of people think he was doing that because there's a lot of people there, and he could just be anonymous, this runaway slave, Onesimus. But what happened next to Onesimus was <laughs> honestly hilarious. Like, by God's sense of humor, by God's sovereignty, the craziest thing happens because this runaway slave somehow comes across the Apostle Paul. And under his ministry, and under his teaching, Onesimus becomes a Christian. Crazy, right? He runs away from this Christian home, and he finds Paul, and Jesus saves him. And what's crazy is uh, Jesus doesn't just save him and then let him continue on his wandering journey of creating a name for himself. He actually takes him and with Paul's instruction, sends him right back to the place that he was fleeing. Onesimus is on his way back to Colossae, to these people who know him. But they don't know the Christian Onesimus. Everyone here is going to know him for his sin, his bad reputation, his old self, the slave. But in Philemon verse 16, you don't have to turn there, but you'll see Paul instructing, pleading with Philemon, the master of his house. He's pleading with him. Don't treat him as a slave. He's no longer just that to you. He is your brother. Powerful words. He's telling Philemon, this guy, he's new in Christ. He is our brother. And he should be treated like it. Like Paul said, even just a, a page over in Colossians 3.11, that, man, here's, there's not slave, there's not free, but Christ is all and in all. Epic story of redemption, right? That's crazy that that actually happened. Unfolding right in front of our eyes here, but I want to 
kind of just take us and kind of put us in the shoes of Onesimus. Go there with me. Put yourself in his shoes here. You're walking home with this letter, just hoping that the man that you wronged and ran away from will forgive you. Like, you don't know how he's going to respond yet. You know that you are owed death for what you've done, and it might be waiting for you when you get there. You might be owed death, but what you're going to plead is mercy, and you even have the audacity to plead brotherhood. In Rome, you could have had a new name. You could have had a whole new life where nobody knew you. You could have escaped and kind of started this new life with you and Jesus, whatever you wanted, but now you're heading home to own up to your sins and your failures. Why? Why would you do that? Why would this new life in Jesus include that? Well, guys, when you repent, which is a kind of a churchy word of saying, like when you're walking towards sin, you repent, you change your mind and you turn. That's pretty slick. You turn in the other direction, repentance, change your mind and turn. When you repent, you are leaving your sin behind. That's true. But it's not just about your chains of sin being removed. It's about you being bound to someone you now call brother or sister. It is about you being restored to a family. It would take seasons of faithfulness from Onesimus, right? Like proving his new life. It would take seasons, I'm sure, to gain the trust back of some people that he lost trust with. No doubt about that. But that's okay because he knows in God's eyes he is made right. He knows because of the forgiveness that he has found in Jesus, his legacy is simply that, forgiven. It might take time for others to see him not as the fugitive, but Paul sees him like God sees him, a faithful and dearly loved brother. And and if I'm looking at his life and as I'm I'm saying what I feel, what I'm thinking, this is what I think about Onesimus, I feel challenged to live a life of faithful repentance. Right? That's our first challenge we see from Onesimus, a challenge to faithfully repent. And here's, guys, here's why I think the idea of confessing your sin, right? Like showing the world, like for me just to say, to bring into the light, like what I've done is wrong. Confession and repentance, why I think that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around, it's so crazy for us to think about, is to turn away from our sin, we have to first stare that sin dead in the eyes and acknowledge it. We can't ignore it, right? Like, I know I'm not the only one here who, like, looks in the mirror most days and is like, gosh, dang it, I wish I didn't have to look in a mirror anymore, right? I wish I could just ignore the person I'm looking at and just, like, like change the way I look. But um, for some of us, there's no hope of that face changing, but not spiritually so. No, when we're confessing and repenting, turning away from our sin, to become a Christian, it doesn't mean that we're just sweeping sin under the rug and forgetting about it and pretending like that's not us. No, we have to look at our sin for what it is. And then we have to look at the cross. It's there at the cross that we actually see the fullness, the depth of our sin. It's there at the cross that we see also the extent of our forgiveness. Friends, I want to challenge you just to own up to the sin in your life tonight. I want to challenge you to turn away from that sin. I want to challenge you to turn towards forgiveness, turn towards freedom. 
I want to challenge you to turn to a life lived faithfully for Jesus. The Jesus who has been faithful to you, to love you when you don't deserve it. Faithful to forgive you. And even if your sin being exposed, even if it hurts your reputation amongst people who are close to you, the people around here even, even if it takes a lifetime to earn back the trust that you have lost with some people, that is all secondary. It's all secondary to the joy of hearing God's voice over you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Guys, don't trade the unending love of a God who knows you fully for the temporary approval of some people who only know what you are willing to share with them. Don't make that trade. Look to Jesus in faith, even right now, friends, and be saved. Believe that what he did for you on the cross was enough to make you new, that you are forgiven and you are made right in God's eyes through Jesus' blood. Believe that right now and be saved. And stop hiding in your sin. Be fully known. Be faithful to Jesus and turning away from your sin. And, and it's crazy. I, I want to ask you this too. Moving on to like, if you are a Christian or if you are like right now just saying, yes, I am all in, it is so crazy that when God looks at you, he sees the reputation of his own son. Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, has given you that record of righteousness. That's how God sees you. Isn't that the coolest thing that has ever happened to you? Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. I was just thinking about during worship about myself. That never gets old. That is crazy good news. And we should never get tired of thinking about that and receiving, just basking in that truth that when God sees me, he sees his son. It's the best thing ever. But does anybody still have that crippling fear about telling other people about that? <laughs> like it's the best thing that ever happened to me, but I'm still somehow kind of afraid to tell other people that good news. Tell people about what God has done for me. Since becoming a Christian, do you guys have like all those stories? Maybe one comes to mind where it's like, man, you just blew it. Like you are a Christian, you know Jesus and you had so many opportunities to stand up for his name, right? And to share your story and to share the good news of Jesus and invite them in and you just blew it. Yeah, yeah, we all, we've all been there. If you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you probably have some of those regrets for sure. I know I'm not the only one who's thought that there's no way God could ever use somebody like me. I know I'm not the only one who's thought that. And if you've ever thought that, I think you need to hear the story of Mark, okay? Not Mark Errant, the pastor here, but Mark from the Bible that we just kind of ran into here. You see him in verse 10. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Okay, what we know from this is very little. We know he's Barnabas' cousin, whoever that is, right? Uh, these people are to welcome him. Um, we know from verse 11 that he is a fellow Jew, Jewish believer with Paul, and he has been a great comfort to Paul. Okay, what else do we know about this Mark guy from the rest of Scripture then? That could be helpful. Well, um, this is the same John Mark from Acts 13 that was on a mission trip with Paul, and he bailed. Right? So it's awkward, right? Like this guy abandoned Paul. He went back home when stuff got hard. 
He didn't want to complete his mission. And it left such a kind of a sour distrust in Paul that even in Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas are going uh, on another missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, let's take my cousin, Mark, right? And Paul's like, no way. That guy bailed on us. Like, I don't want anything to do with him. And it caused such a sharp division that Paul and Barnabas split up. This Mark has a bad reputation. He is a failure of a missionary. To simply say it, Mark chickened out. And so what happened? So all of a sudden, now Paul is saying, oh, this deserter, um, you need to welcome this guy back in the church. How does he say in 2 Timothy 4.11 that this Mark is useful now to his ministry? Well, to skip over some of the details of how cool it was, how he got discipled by the Peter and all stuff, his story actually can be the exact same as ours. This, this is what happened. Grace makes cowards courageous. Grace makes cowards courageous. Are you someone who's ever crippled by fear? Right? Are you just cooked by all the times that you haven't shared the gospel? Like think about all of those people that you just haven't shared the gospel with. Does that just crush you to stop and think about that for a second? Because it does for me. But if that's you, take heart. Because even if you have given up on you, Jesus hasn't. Just look at the story of Mark here. In his flesh, he bails when stuff gets hard. He bails when stuff gets hard. But with the Spirit of God, he's on the front lines with Paul. He's on the front lines with Peter. And oh yeah, he pens an entire gospel in your New Testament. The book of Mark, that's his. This is a man who probably didn't believe that God could ever do as much through him as he did. And I read that and I'm challenged to faithfully live on mission like Mark. Even in the midst of all of your failures and shortcoming, the next challenge that I see from Mark is a challenge to live faithfully on mission. Have you guys ever been like so impressed by somebody that you just didn't expect to be impressed by? Like, they just completely blew your expectations out of the water. Like, I remember playing pickup soccer recently with Caleb Bodine. Are you here tonight, Caleb? No? Oh, there you are. Yeah, wave, wave, Caleb. Yeah, great. Dude, I play, so I play pickup soccer a lot with a lot of you guys. And I played with Caleb Bodine once, and I picked him on my team. And I think, you know, he also knows I'm picking on him tonight, so don't, don't feel awkward or anything. But I think Caleb shot 100 shots in soccer that game. And he missed 101 of them, right? It was... <laughs> It was unbelievable. Uh, and so here we are playing again some other time. And I remember thinking like, okay, let's just, you know, let's just maybe let the other team pick him, right? Um, you know, I'm confessing this, you know, out loud. Uh, <laughs> but something happened that day that blew my mind. Caleb probably had like three hat tricks in that game. Every single time he touched the ball, it turned into a goal. He went from like the donkey of the game to Cristiano Ronaldo and like literally Two pickup soccer games. The moral of the story of playing pickup soccer with you, Caleb, is don't sleep on Caleb Bodine. <laughs> it's not on the screen, but if you want to write it down, don't sleep on Caleb Bodine. And the moral, I think, of Mark's life story is don't sleep on the God that lives inside of Mark. Now, what you're not going to hear me say is, all right, so you want to be a missionary. You want to share the gospel. You want to flip this campus upside down. Don't sleep on yourself. You are capable of this. No, you're not. Not at all. You can do absolutely that. God, we are setting off on a mission, even tonight, to do the impossible. 
We want to see dead people come to life to become worshipers of Jesus forever. And there is not one single thing that we can do, and there's not one single thing Mark can do in his missionary work to make that happen. It is all a gift from God. It's all the power working inside of him, that there is a God who lives inside of him and lives inside of the Christian even today who gives you life. And that life is contagious. You don't need me tonight just to yell at you to evangelize more. Maybe you do a little, but that's not what you need the most, right? What you need is a vision for what your life could look like if you faithfully lived on mission. If you actually lived in a way that was more concerned, if we lived in a way that was more concerned with people's salvation than their approval of us or the social status quo. Like what would it look like even just like, like baby steps, like what would it look like for us to bring up Jesus in one conversation this week? Right, like let the lion out of the cage just open your mouth and say his name as awkward as it is and just see what happens. He doesn't need you to defend him. He can take care of himself. And don't worry, he will. Guys, the question is, will we be faithful to live on mission for the Jesus who has saved us? You know what you can do? Something practical. So funny, I was talking to one of you guys about this earlier and you actually was doing this and you didn't know I had this written down. But I'm gonna tell you this, something that's really fun and practical, go make a list. Like, you guys have pen and paper, maybe you don't. Find pen and paper and write a physical list. Think of people um, that are in your life right now that don't know Jesus. Maybe people that you're going home to see over break, but I would even encourage you to say, especially those who are you going to leave here over break, people in your dorms or in your classes or even your roommates, write their names down. And what you think I'm about to say is write your names down and then go share with them. But I'm going to tell you, don't do that yet. Don't, after you write their names down, don't do anything until you follow the example of our third person tonight. I'm going to warn you about this guy. He's not for the faint of heart. He's hardcore. And he's really, really serious about living faithfully for Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody more has been more convicting to me this week than this guy. He ruined my week. And... I'm telling you that because his heart for people absolutely dwarfs mine. And I want to be more like him in this. And so Colossians 4, 12 and 13, I'm going to introduce you to Epaphras. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. You see Epaphras? Epaphras is the pastor of this church in Colossae. He is the one who planted this church. He's in Rome with Paul hanging out and Paul is writing back, being like, I'm watching this guy pray for you and it is amazing. You see that word, he wrestles for you in prayer all the time. Another time that that word is used, that wrestling prayer in the Greek, it's in Luke 44, 22, 44, when Jesus, the night before being tortured and crucified, is crying out to his God in anguish with sweat like blood coming out of his face. And Paul's saying that's the, that is the posture of this pastor that he has for you. This is a man who cares a lot about people. But he's also a man who knows that if anything is gonna happen around him, he needs to tap into the power of a God who cares about this people even more than he does. A God who is genuinely able to do more than any of us could ever ask or imagine, which is so inspiring, I know, but like it also comes with a caution tonight. Like, do you actually want to be like this man of Epaphras? Do you actually want to love people the way he does? 
like feeling it in your guts. It hunches you over in agonizing prayer. Do you actually think you want to love somebody that much? Yes, at times it'll be like distracting how much joy you have from loving somebody, how thankful you are for them, how you can't stop thinking, man, God, thank you so much for that. Like, that's, that's true, that, that'll happen. But at other times, you're unable to rest or sleep or focus because the people that you love need prayer. Do you want to love people like that? The final challenge I feel tonight, really, from Epaphras is just faithfully praying for others. Right? From his life, a challenge to faithfully pray for others. And guys, do you guys want to know, just like, I don't know if you've thought about this, but do you want to know how your connection groups are going to thrive this year? It's not going to be because you took them to a conference. Um, do you want to know how your friends are going to come to know Jesus? It's not you bringing them here so that I can like speak at them for you. No. Um, do you know how this place is going to become the friendship mecca and the relational hub that we all really know it can be? It all hinges on if, whether or not we are willing to put the gloves on, step in the ring, and contend for one another in prayer. Prayer is not a cute little exercise you say before bed. It is a fight. Contend for one another Friends, I just got to ask, what would happen if we prayed for each other? What would that do to this room? What would that do to your own heart, to my own heart? I think it's super easy, guys, to talk about one another, isn't it? You know, something goes on, it's easy just to talk to one another about one another. But man, if our first instinct was to talk to God, not other people, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it is so hard to hate somebody that you pray for. This passage, it challenges us, challenges me in so many ways, right? To repent, to live on mission, but there's no other challenge that even comes close to this one, to pray for you guys. And it has been, like I said, he ruined my week. I, I say that tongue in cheek. It's been a fine week, but um, I love you guys a lot. And I want to be more like this man, but I want it to go both ways. I want us to pray for one another. This whole company, Jesus is coming back. And when the Lord returns, will he find us faithful? When it's all said and done, what will be your legacy? What will be written on your tombstone? I hope you can find the irony, but also just the great joy if it was simply two words, faithful servant of Jesus Christ, if you want to put some subtext on there. That would be quite an honor. Just want to close with uh, the, the last thing here, really. Um, Colossians 4, 14 and 17, we see just a couple more names. Uh, in 14, he says, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings, okay? A couple more names. You guys have heard of Luke. Maybe you haven't heard of Demas. Um, and then he says in verse 17, until Archippus, Pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it, right? Paul is pretty much just saying, Archippus, it is paramount. You need to know this, that if you are gonna live a faithful life to Jesus, it's gonna take a lifetime to do that. It's not just a decision you make, it is a daily walk of following Jesus. And written deep into this text that we get to see from our perspective is that Demas, a man who Paul 
praises in two of his letters. We finally find out later in life in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas actually fell in love with this world and deserted the faith. He didn't finish his course. He did not finish his life radically following Jesus. Maybe he was entranced for a couple years with a ministry and the success and the hype that he saw kind of revolving around Paul, but he never fell in love with Jesus. And so tonight, guys, I just want to pull the smoke away and just say, whatever reason you are here, however impressed or angry you have either been at Salt Company or Veritas Church or me or anybody else, we are all here to point one another to Jesus. And you are not living a life faithfully devoted to a brand or to the name of some ministry or some pastor. We are challenging you tonight. And I'm challenging myself to live a life faithfully following Jesus. And we're gonna need his help to do that. So let's, let's pray together and let's call out to him. Jesus, we need you. And God, it is such a sweet place to realize that we need you because every single time that I realize I need you, I realize I have you. You are here tonight, Lord. You are alive. You did not stay dead. You did not stay up on the cross, God, but you burst out of your tomb and you are alive. And God, you are intimately involved in everybody's life in here tonight. God, you are here calling all of us to live lives of faithfulness. God, we are not gonna settle for living comfortable, upper middle class, wealthy, early retirement, free from suffering type of lives. God, we want to be with Jesus in whatever comes. And so Lord, um, as we go from here, as we write down names and pray for people to come to know you, God, would you first do a mighty work in us and realize that we need you, Jesus. Nobody needs Jesus more than the Christian. And we know that to be true. So God, as we offer up our lives again tonight, as we turn to you again tonight, would you receive our worship? Would you receive our hearts? Would you receive our lives, God? And would you do more than all, would you do more than we could all ask or imagine, God?